Welcome back to Kettlebells and Cocktails. I'm your host, John, back with my bestie, Nikki. Nikki, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Busy. Banking's been nuts lately. Yeah. All the fun things, but it's coming together. Good. Com coming together. How's the fam? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty darn good. I feel like in the last two weeks, Hunter has started like speaking in full sentences, and I am not ready. Like he straight up yesterday was like, Mama. I see a plane and was like pointing into the air. And I was like, boy, that is a complete thought. It is. You are one. Like, quit. Stop it. I can't. How was, how was Matt's Father's Day? Oh, it was really nice. We actually spent the whole day with his, like, his family and his cousins. And there were five boys under four that all got to hang together. So it was like very, very fun. What did you do for Father's Day? Absolutely nothing. My daughters are old they don't buy me anything for father's day that's it they they do a little instagram post or one of them does the other one doesn't even do that and that's it so it's all good oh well it's all happy, good happy father's day from me then <laughs> i know for me the happiest father's day is when nobody else is claiming you to be a father oh, that's well. it that's basically year over it. year goes by and you're just like like your stomach's in knots you're like please nobody call today as long as maury povich isn't asking me to take a dna test i'm good to go you are not the father. Yeah, no, it is all good. Well, I'm excited about tonight. Nikki messaged me a couple weeks ago. She goes, hey, I want to talk about aging. And I'm like, I'm good at that. I'm good at that. So let's talk about aging. And we have our aging expert, which isn't what you do. But that's what I'm going to say it is. Christina Previtt, how are you? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm living the dream and getting older as we speak. Well, okay. In fairness, I messaged John for a little bit of context and I was like, I want to talk to Christina about aging when it comes to pelvic floor health, because Christina is an expert. And when I feel like the second you say pelvic floor, anything or pelvic, anything, people also immediately talk or think about when you're pregnant, when you're postpartum and, and all those things. So we'll get to all of that. And I know people have been messaging me ever since we did the focus on female episodes last year. People have been messaging me questions about like, I want to know about this when it comes to aging as a CrossFitter, especially a female CrossFitter. I want to know about this when it comes to my pelvic floor health, because that's just like the subject that is consistently glazed over. And so before we dive into everything, Christina, first of all, welcome. Thank and you. Can you tell us kind of in a nutshell, what exactly your specialty is and what kind of work that you do? Yeah. So I'm kind of this, I kind of have these two areas or two buckets that have some overlap, but also are very distinct where I teach in geriatrics. And then I also teach in the pregnant postpartum pelvic space. And I started in the geriatric space because I am about four weeks out from defending my PhD on high load resistance training for older adults. So the idea being that in general, our older adults are outside of the CrossFit space can very commonly be dismissed or the be careful, be careful, be careful starts to creep mm -hmm. into people's minds when it comes to the way that they should be exercising, the way that they should be moving, the decisions that they're making within their bodies. And we're trying to really combat against that. So I am a physical therapist by background. I went down the rabbit hole of doing a part-time PhD that I'm about to be finishing and really trying to tackle this idea of under dosage. We call it one rep max living where 
our older adults who are having trouble getting up from a chair without using their hands, like their one or at max of their legs is less than their body weight, which is a pretty dangerous and dire place for them to be if they were to fall and break their arm, for example. And then the other area kind of came about in pelvic health when I got pregnant with my daughter. So I have been in CrossFit for probably about 12 years and I have competed pregnant, postpartum or both in CrossFit, weightlifting, powerlifting. I have been coaching in this space for a really long time. But when I got pregnant with my, my daughter four years ago and I was weightlifting, I was competing at a national level in Canada. I was not that good, but I was trying. And they, the comments were just unbelievable. And it's funny because my PhD, one of my PhD committee members said to me, if you have an area that is completely underserviced, it is anything with respect to resistance training and pregnancy. And that kind of put me down another rabbit hole. And now I'm doing research in high load resistance training for pregnant people as well. And so now I kind of have these two camps. But where they overlap is that both are given a lot of fear-focused messages. A lot of people are given a lot of advice that is well-meaning, but creates a lot of fear and we don't have a lot of research to support it. And the overlap is that pelvic floor dysfunction increases when individuals go through big fluctuations in sex hormones. And so that's puberty, pregnancy, postpartum, and peri-postmenopause and for the, the female. And therefore, I kind of try and tackle it across lifespan and try and figure out how can we make a more empowerment forward messaging in both of these camps and give individuals guideposts rather than blanket advice to not do things. So just, just like chill everyday stuff. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> not all breaking total barriers down in the research space when it comes to all the things that people, but usually in these cases, I think women for the most part are told they really shouldn't do. So NBD yeah. there. I could talk for, I'm like fired up. I could talk for like six hours about both of the sides of your work completely, but we'll try to narrow it down a little bit to keep this within a normal podcast time frame. And I think let's, I would like to tackle sort of like one area that you work in at a time. Okay. So I'd love to start with the work that you're doing and the research that you're doing with the aging population. First of all, what do you consider like aging, quote unquote? Like what age yeah. range are we talking about here? Let's be, let's be real careful how this answer yeah. goes down, by the way. <laughs> so my work was done in 65 plus. Okay. The funny part is that because our population is aging and life expectancy is going up. John, you're probably maybe not going to like this, but the research mm. is kind of broken up into older adult and the oldest old, which is like 80, 85 plus. The oldest um, old? That's what's calling that? Oh my God. Okay. Sometimes right. The older adult and the about to die. The crusty, <laughs> crypt keepery. Oh God. <laughs> yes. And so it's just so funny. And, but we are starting to see that we are getting more research in individuals who are in their 80s, in their 90s. I had somebody in my research study that was 92 and trying to stay fit and spry for his 70-year-old girlfriend who was a yoga instructor. And so it was, yeah, it was awesome to see individuals really trying to take control of their health. And one of the cool things we're seeing in the CrossFit space is that there's a lot of barriers or, or there's a lot of perceived barriers and boundaries really being smashed by some of our 
older adults in the 65 plus category who are transversing parallettes and doing old squat cleans and what was the athlete I forget her name she was 72 and she did a a 35 pound weighted chin up at the games last year and so we're seeing it, anecdotally individuals start to to break down some of those those preconceived notions of what individuals are capable of but there's still a long way to go in the healthcare space I was just talking to somebody about this this weekend of the oldest of the old as you so eloquently put it, that there's a, there's a real significant difference in quality of life of people that are fit at 90 and people that live to 90, but have never focused on fitness. Is this part of your, is this part of the work you're looking at or is it totally different from that? Yeah, I, I not, my research is not looking at that. My research was looking at getting barbells into older adults' hands and seeing if it was safe for them to do so, which Yes. The answer is yes. Um, but <laughs> spoiler alert, it's spoiler alert to my PhD. The answer is yes. But uh, but we are seeing that, especially in rehab, our interventions can have two goals, right? We, we don't have a movement problem in our society. We have a lack of movement problem and that gets worse as we get older. And so we can be promoting physical activity or we can be promoting breaking up sedentary time. And so we have our individuals who are in their 80s and 90s who we wouldn't consider like traditionally physically active because they don't go somewhere or do something for the purpose of exercise, but they are by no means sedentary. And my, my grandmother passed away at 97. She had never stepped into a gym in her life, but until the last 12 weeks of her life, she drove, she gardened independently. She never used a mobility aid. And then unfortunately succumbed to cancer, but she's like my gold standard, like this Mm -hmm. live long and die fast, this like squaring of this curve where we're living for as long as we possibly can with as much reserve as we possibly can until illness strikes or or we hit some sort of health challenge later on in life, hopefully later on in life. I plan to go like that client of yours with the 20 year younger yoga instructor. I think that's Uh, ideal to me. (laughs) How, how are you breaking through this fear-based issue you're coming with? This is a huge CrossFit. This is not unique to the older population. Like CrossFit is battling this right now of, of all the talking heads outside of our space going, CrossFit's dangerous. It's bad for you. You're going to break your back. You're going to constantly be injured. Like, how are you getting past that? I, I think weightlifting in general has that. It's more yeah. than just, I think anytime you put a barbell or a big dumbbell or whatever in someone's hand, who's not used to the fitness space. Yeah, I'll give you that. They're like, ah, you shouldn't be doing that. Should you be doing that? You better be careful. Right. Yeah. So my, my way to advocate for my profession is obviously going to be different than other people. But for me, getting involved in the research space as a clinician is something that I feel like I can leave my profession better than when I started with it. So we didn't have any research in high load resistance training during pregnancy. And so I sent an email to a researcher who's involved in pregnancy and saying, Hey, I have this idea. And Margie Davenport, who is an international name in the the research space was kind enough to respond to me. And that's where we did a study that looked at 679 individuals who lifted over 80% of their one rep max during their pregnancy. And we, we saw no increase in adverse health outcomes. We can talk about that study if you want, but we need research to get out there and it needs to have context. And so being a clinician, but also being in the research space helps me to, to draw bridges 
And we didn't have a lot of research that looked at, well, we, we still don't have a lot of research that looks at some of the things that like Tia was doing during her pregnancy because I'm working on a systematic review on strength training during pregnancy and we're getting elastic bands with a max extent or a, a max stretchiness of 1.8 kilos or all exercises done in sitting, resisted ankle plantar flexion and dorsiflexion, aka calf raises were like some of the main exercises coming in. So I've kind of taken a, I really want to build this research base to combat things. And if I have to change my mind based on the research, I'm going to start having the research to back me up. And then I try and really use social media and I teach continuing education to physical therapists because I think if I can get to some of the providers and change their messaging, even to cast doubt in some of their messaging, I think it's just going to have huge benefits for everybody they interact with because especially for our aging adults and my clients in their 70s, 80s, their doctor is on this pedestal. And if they say CrossFit is bad for you, they're not going to step back into that CrossFit gym. So we have to empower our, our clients, but we also have to speak to our providers so that we can really create this, this continuity where we are trying to, yeah, to, to create more resiliency in people. And you never go into any stage of your life and say, I really wish I was weaker for this health challenge that I'm about to have. Like whether it's pregnancy or postpartum or you get sick as you're aging and you think, I was just too jacked for this. It made it way harder for me to recover. We <laughs> never always my problem. <laughs> yeah, we, we never say that. And yet we, we decondition our older adults. We decondition our pregnant people. So it's just, there's just a lot that we need to, slowly chip away at yeah. and just realize time. Well, you are you are steering a cruise ship trying to get providers to change the way that they have been messaging this especially older providers who have been doing this for decades who maybe even have a hard time following the latest greatest research on the things that they deal with on a daily basis let alone like a whole new idea of how to treat an entire population of people with high load resistance training. You know what I mean? Like, and I only say this because I feel it in this house and my husband is a, is a clinical pharmacist and works in docs offices all over the state. And it's like trying to get these people on board to like, let's not prescribe that. Let's work on diet and lifestyle. Let's whatever, whatever. It's like, nobody wants well, to hear it. Trying to get doctors to adopt new ideas is incredibly hard. Like I, my That's mom got, I mean, yeah. got sick and went to her doctor and, and he's like, you're going to be on meds for the rest of your life. And I've been around CrossFit long enough. She had type two diabetes and I've been around CrossFit long enough. I was like, mom, that's, that's not accurate. I think you need another doctor and another resource. And sure enough, she was off the meds 90 to 120 days later when she changed her diet and threw in some exercise, go figure. It's like yeah. get, but getting doctors to read these, this research, I think is incredibly difficult. Is there a method to get more doctors to acclimate to this, to get into it? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things to unpack with that for when I'm talking with clinicians, the people that are coming to see you aren't coming to see you because they're healthy and they're in the gym. And they're crushing it. Like that's not the people that you're seeing. And because you are only seeing the, the sickest of the sick, then it can sometimes cloud our, our perception of aging, right? Because we don't see the people who are vibrant and doing really well. We see the people that are sick and need our care. 
And I think reflecting on that as providers so that it doesn't cloud our judgment is important. The other thing is that it is very difficult in the system within, within which physicians are brought up. There's a lot of fitness professionals who can really hate on physicians a lot. And I try to kind of come with a very even keel where the system at which our physicians were brought up were in five to 10 minute appointments, trying to make really important decisions about medication, et cetera. They don't have time to sit with a person for 30 minutes and say, this is what I think you should do for exercise and fitness, or have you tried this? Or they have said exercise and then that person comes back and hasn't changed anything. And now their lab values are so much worse because they didn't take that health promoting advice. And now they're on the hook from a liability perspective. So I want to kind of put it into that, that context. But in order for us to move the needle, there has to be really widespread change. And I think having more primary, secondary, tertiary prevention aims and within our medical schools is really important. Keeping up to date with the list literature and then creating a team approach. Like when I'm talking about being a birth provider and talking to obstetricians and all this type of thing about return to exercise after baby, what I want to say is let me tackle that. Like you need to tackle like Is there a mental health issue going on? Is there any sort of complication? Like all of those things are super important and you need to be focusing on that. Like make the referral to me. Let me deep dive for an hour with a person on how to get back to the mode of exercise that they enjoy. And the more we can make collaborative partnerships. And unfortunately, I think what's happening on social media is people are saying, well, that provider is saying this and there's like this turf war and and you Mm -hmm. see it a lot in the pelvic space. Like doulas and midwives and OBs and and pelvic providers. And it it doesn't, it's no one is going to, when you're threatening their belief system, is going to say, let's collaborate. And so how do we come to the table in an open type of forum so that true change can can happen? And I'm optimistic that we we can do that with with more collaboration and more conversation and more research. I just like to say as a dude, the term, the pelvic space makes me really uncomfortable. Really. You have your pelvic floor too. We can talk talk about your pelvic floor or increasing pelvic issues that may happen as you get older. You said you were. I would actually love to talk about that. Let's talk about that because so we're, we're, we're getting like the preview to your PhD. So like number one, old people lift heavy shit. It's good for you. Number two. What are some of the what are some of the issues that you see, especially in the athletic space? Like, what are some of the issues that CrossFitters who stay within this space as they approach and get through their 60s and plus? What are some of the issues that they face as they age within our space? Love this. So rates of pelvic floor dysfunction in men and women increase as we get Older. So women go through menopause, men can get through menopause, which is really andropause, where we see a drop down of testosterone and a drop down in estrogen. Wait, menopause is my new favorite word. I do not have menopause, by the way. Tell me about it. And can I tell my husband that he seems PMSy? Because he's approaching man. I've been hot flashes over here. Good Honey, you seem really emotional. Are you feeling manopausal today? Manopausal today. Well, I don't know actually when it, it transitions for men. It's more gradual versus we have kind of cut course it is. For, for women. Yeah. So for females, they go through menopause roughly around age 51, 52. And it's marked by a full year without a menstrual cycle. And estrogen comes down pretty significantly. And then in that 
lower estrogen state, that's where issues with pelvic floor stuff goes up and issues with bone health are, are two very big ones that we see as individuals get older. Subsequently, they're being told that they shouldn't be lifting. And so we're really trying to counter this. And so what do I mean by that? If our body is getting weaker, which it does with age, but we can really fight that with keeping up with resistance training, then your pelvic floor can get weaker as well. And estrogen, to not get too kind of sciencey and in the weeds, estrogen helps with the ligaments around our pelvis to help give our pelvis support. And it helps with our bone mineral density. And what that means is, is that if we don't have as much of that static support around our pelvis, we have to focus on our dynamic support, which is our muscles. And if our muscles aren't as strong as they need to be, then we can see an increase in different pelvic floor issues. And then we see that we have more risk of osteoporosis or osteopenia with individuals who are older. Osteoporosis is an interesting one because there has been, a, thankfully, this big shift. Our muscles respond to load, so we load them. Our bones respond to load. But have you ever tried Aquafit or chair yoga? Is like the knee-jerk reaction. Like, don't do anything that's going to cause you to load your, your bones because you could have a fracture. And I would argue that we're seeing more research that is saying we, we kind of need to keep our, our bones strong. And there is a study out of Australia where they got individuals with osteoporosis to do a exercise program for eight months, five by five at 85%. And not only did they get stronger, but their bone mineral density actually improved at the lumbar spine and at the femoral neck. So at the hip and at the, in the low back. And was really countering some of this messaging around not doing things. And so we're seeing these individuals start to walk into gyms. And I think that's so great. We've had people on my team. I teach with in the Institute of Clinical Excellence. They do fitness programs and people have walked in and said, I really want to make sure my osteoporosis is under control. Or like they've said, my bones, my doctor says that my bones are weak and I need to work on that. And I think that's great. We're, we're seeing this, this shift. And then from a pelvic floor perspective, I think as individuals get older, unfortunately, the amount of times that they get recommended for conservative care, which is kind of going to pelvic floor PT, is less. And they are more likely for their first, their first kind of medical intervention to be surgery or medication to change bladder flow. And we are really trying to advocate for getting them into pelvic floor PT, getting them into gyms and creating this resilient older person. Because let's just be really frank, like pelvic floor dysfunction as you get older really means you have a, you pee yourself. Or you poop yourself or you oh, feel bummer. heaviness around vaginal opening. I, if you've worked in rehab for a while, you've had a person toot on you as you're getting up because they're having pelvic floor issues and they're starting to bear down and they're having a lot of trouble with their movements and transitions. Since all of that, if we do some teaching on breathing and doing some teaching on bracing and get them a little bit stronger, we can really improve. And for our really older adults who are facing a loss of function, urinary incontinence is one of the biggest reasons why people go into assisted living facilities. And so mm -hmm. definitely something for us to be trying to tackle. And and trying to tackle this not at 85, first of all, but throughout the right. lifespan. Well, I was going to say, I feel like I've seen a lot on your socials and, and on the socials of a couple other pelvic floor specialists that I follow that like 
the resounding feeling for you guys in the clinician space is like, it's never okay to be peeing yourself or losing function in your pelvic floor. And we've sort of normalized it like, oh, you had a baby. So like, of course, when you sneeze, you're going to pee a little bit or like, well, you're doing your one rep max, even if you're a young, healthy person. So like, of course, when you bear down, you're going to pee yourself. And like, you guys are saying like, nah, like, let's, let's not make that okay anywhere because it means you have an issue that you're obviously not dealing with. Yeah. And I can see why individuals are saying this, right? Because they want to remove the embarrassment factor. If you're peeing in a weightlifting meet or a powerlifting meet or in a CrossFit competition and We've had really well-known athletes that have had incontinence at the games, for example. The other flip side of that is when I am working with athletic individuals, them peeing or having symptoms don't scare me. I'm actually very often trying to invoke them because we know that rates of pelvic floor dysfunction increase under higher loads, higher intensity, higher amount of fatigue. And I need to know where their ceilings are. And that means that I want to get them to do an exhausted set of double unders and figure out, are you peeing rep one or are you peeing rep 115? Because that's very different. And unfortunately, many people, when they say I'm peeing with double unders, they don't, they don't get that further questioning or get those individuals doing these things. And then the knee jerk is like, okay, well, let's get rid of double unders. Let's try something different. And yeah, we're trying to figure out where their ceilings are, coach these movements figure out ways to keep them doing these movements if this is something that they enjoy and then kind of edge into those ceilings again and see if those ceilings have moved. My ceiling is usually looking up the workout for the record. That's what you tap out? Yep, look it up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to pee my pants. I can tell <laughs> right now. For, for guys, it's they're going to fart in the bottom of the squat. They are going to get hemorrhoids or they're going to get hernias. And this is the same issues that we're seeing with different types of bracing issues and and ways that they are bearing down when they are bracing that is leading to some of these issues. And so I get some people who are in their late 50s and they're like, well, I've had four hernia repairs. And I was like, Let, let's talk about your core strength. Let's talk about how you're lifting. They're like, oh, I'm super active. I was like, I, I know, but we're going we're gonna to start working on this because you're obviously not bracing well that you're perforating your abdominal wall. Like you are getting holes in your abdominal wall that you need to get surgically fixed. So. Well, jo jokes aside, men don't talk about it though. I was and, just going to say that. And this is a, a big difference. Like as someone who I built an entire platform around observational humor, like over the last decade or so, I can give you a hundred stories of hearing women talk about peeing during double unders running and box jumps. I can give you less than five of men talking about hemorrhoids and farting at the bottom of a squat and any of that other stuff that comes from it. Men just don't talk about it. I'm sure it's happening as often or, or more often than I'm hearing it, but they just don't talk about it. Yeah. For our athletes, men and women that are, that are really strong, they tend to be less on the weak side of the spectrum and more on that their nervous system is really high and they we go into like hypertonicity where they're holding on too tight and this can happen in our men as well. And they can develop things like testicular pain or erectile dysfunction. And those are signs too of a really tight pelvic floor. And again, you like, just like you said, those are not things that get talked about. And in the CrossFit space, we've seen a big shift towards these long endurance based events. You're seeing these athletes who are 
clocking in a lot of time on the C2 bike, a lot of zone two. And those are things that can come up that are like unnerving if your testicles become numb or painful and you don't know what to do about it, or you're having issues with fueling. For example, we tend to see a lot of our athletes don't eat enough for what they're expending and things like not getting a morning erection is a sign that men aren't fueling properly. And all of these things, they're just, you're right, there just isn't the same amount of awareness of these problems or people talking about them on the male side. We see it more in the female side, especially in that perinatal space. I would argue that both menopause and menopause are under talked about, but really trying to break down some of those barriers and have some of these conversations. I am never going to talk about it if you call it menopause. What's the fear for, or what's the risk for men that aren't willing to talk about this? Well, issues with sexual performance and sexual health. And we know that sexual health is a vital sign for quality of life. Individuals with really tight pelvic floors can oftentimes be misdiagnosed with things like chronic prostatitis, or they think they're having infections all the time without positive cultures. When that is happening, sorry, positive cultures being like a P-test that doesn't show the bacteria that we would think yeah. is, is there for an infection, then they're kind of stuck not knowing what to do. There's a big perception when you go to pelvic health or urologist that for some of our men, they don't want a finger up their bum, which can be part of a pelvic floor assessment, but does not have to be part of that assessment. And talking about these things can be quite uncomfortable. And the more, again, these conversations start to happen, the more normalized we can make it. I think for a lot of people, the trigger is some of those sexual dysfunctions because it's really alarming. And they go to their doctor and sometimes, again, they're given medication, especially depending on age. And that referral to PT isn't, isn't given, especially if they've done ultrasounds and other tests to make sure that there's something wrong with their bladder or their prostate or, or whatever that may be. But yeah, just a living a long time with thinking that they're not going to be able to have the sexual satisfaction or, or live in their sexual being the way that they want to. So many new fears unlocked now. Thanks for <laughs> Oh, you have resources. You can go to preventative PT care whenever you need to to make sure that you can live in your sexual self for the rest of your life. That was one of the problems. Well, not problems, but that was one of the issues that I was combating when I was in pelvic floor PT when I was pregnant. Is and my my PT said that a lot of people that she treats who are athletic or do like lift weights or whatever have have that issue with the the tight is it tightness in the pelvic floor muscles itself yeah basically because she was like you can't relax and if you can't if you're if you're you're gonna say this way better than i do but you basically like if you can't relax your pelvic floor you're not gonna be able to give birth very comfortably now are you and i was like i don't know what you're talking about i'm not what do you mean but she said that that was a common issue so i thought that i thought that was really interesting where i was like i'm so yoked even my pelvic floor is like so jacked my pelvic floor has abs that's how only I had the abs forehead. <laughs> Let's actually shift the conversation that way into the work that you're doing in the in the pregnant and postpartum space. Starting with the research before we even get into pelvic floor stuff, which I know is probably why everyone tuned into this episode. But the research of lifting heavy while pregnant was like the number one thing that I was missing when I was pregnant. And if you guys go back and listen to any episodes after I told John that I was pregnant. It was like, I was furious. I was fuming. I was confused. I was pissed. I was like, why can't there just be someone 
to tell me that I can do this without being like one person in my OB's office said, don't lift more than 25 pounds. And then my OB, who was very knowledgeable at the time, was like, you could probably lift about 75, 80% or do about 75, 80% of what you're doing on a daily basis and be fine because you're used to this. And I was like, cool. And then I would like look up pregnancy training programs and they'd all be like, you should pull back and probably not. And I'm like, someone just tell me what the fuck to do. I'm pissed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to to be fair, the reason why is because there hasn't been a research study up until the last exactly. two or three years that have been over that weight. We have now two studies that have been done on Valsalva and baby showing that women who kind of brace or hold their breath with lifting are not putting baby at risk. So we have those two studies, but they went up to a max of 50 pounds and it wasn't in standing. It was in lying down. It was an inclined bench press of all things. It was just easier for them to put the probes and things on to look at what their bodies were doing. And I know that there is research right now on Valsalva in the resistance training space during pregnancy to try and work on the squat and all that, those types of things. So those are coming. The reason why, so what our study design was, was a survey. So we took 679 individuals. That was how many people agreed to be in the study. And they had to have been lifting more than 80% of their one rep max at least once during their pregnancy. And then we said, tell us what happened. Did you lift on your back? Did you hold your breath when you were lifting? Did you lift over your head? Did you do all of these things? When did you start to modify? Then what were your birth outcomes? Were you more likely to have issues with your blood pressure, issues with C-section? Were you more likely to have to use an instrument to deliver vaginally? And then when did you start coming back to these things postpartum? It's important to know that this is cross-sectional. And so there we have to now take pregnant people and follow them forward to increase the strength of the evidence. But it was a start to say, just like all of us know in CrossFit gyms, people are doing this anyway, and we need to do more research on it. That was the big kind of goal of this survey. And what we saw was that individuals who lifted heavy during pregnancy compared to national averages had lower incidence of C-section there's, I, I kind of have an asterisk on that with some of our high level athletes. I'm seeing higher incidence of C section, but we can kind of talk about that. Those who were lifting heavy, they didn't have as many issues with their blood sugar. So they didn't have as much gestational diabetes. There wasn't as much hypertension. So gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, which Tori Bowie, the thought that she, the Olympic track athlete who was black that just passed away at eight months pregnant. She struggled with eclampsia, they think, and that was the complication. And Elise, who is on her team, also almost died of preeclampsia. So we are getting, there's a lot of equity issues that are, are coming into that space. But in our study with resistance training, it was, we saw lower incidences of those things. Interestingly too, and this was like a bias check for me, was that individuals who held their breath to brace and those that didn't, didn't there wasn't a difference in terms of rates of pelvic floor issues after baby. And again, we, we have a lot that we need to do to figure it out. And there's a lot of ideas around that, but definitely was a bias check for me because I tended to say, well, let's like not hold your breath and let's make a change to your breath strategy during pregnancy. And now I've kind of said, you can do what works better for you. If this feels better for your body, here's kind of options for you. And again, moving away from that, that fear messaging. And just kind of lastly on this, 
I, I can go on about this study all the time, but a lot of people are thinking your pelvic floor and your abs are under a lot of strain during pregnancy. So let's not strain them more. I kind of disagree with that where I think if we are putting a area of the body under load, it has to be even more resilient. So how do we keep it strong in a way that is setting our clients up for success and taking into account where they are within their pregnancy, within their life, and try to really allow them to be as strong as possible. And what we're seeing for things like having a gap in our abs, like that diastasis recti, which is a very fear invoking for a lot of people, is that all of Rita Deering's research is saying that it's those who have diastasis recti postpartum are weaker than those that don't. And in that postpartum period. So there's just a lot that's starting to be thankfully challenged, which is super exciting. And my little study was one step. And now I'm working on a systematic review on what the state of the research is on resistance training in pregnancy with the idea of going to taking individuals before they get pregnant, get them through their pregnancy, asking questions about if they're experiencing pelvic floor issues, how they're modifying, and then looking at their labor and delivery over time. But that's going to take me three to five years. So in oh 2028, get me, get me back on the podcast. I'll be able to update you. Hell yeah, because that's what we need. And that's what we need for people who are in it at, at that point in their lives to feel confident in the information that they're getting. That's why I was like so upset when I was living it is because I was just already emotional, already overwhelmed at the thought that my life was going to change with my first kid and and then feeling like I didn't know who I could trust. And that sucks. That feeling sucks because it's such an unknown space and you need support. Like it takes a village, right? You need support when you're going through that. And so to not have just a resource that is aligned with with being backed by data, like that's just it sucks. It sucks when you're when you're living that life and you're just like confused and you're like, what do I do? Do I step into the gym? Do I stay home forever? Do I lift 90%? Do I just, am I just using a trainer bar from now on? Like I don't, I don't know yeah. and no one can tell me. Well, and that's why I started the Barbell Mamas. So we do yeah. online programming for pregnant CrossFit powerlifters, weightlifters, and it's not a knee-jerk reaction. The goal is to keep you moving during your pregnancy, have you feeling supported postpartum, by giving you the buoys. Like, I don't need to tell you when something is going to feel good or something is going to feel bad. I need to tell you what you need to look out for. So if you're experiencing pelvic pain, if you are peeing, like if you are feeling heaviness around the opening of your vagina, like those are things that we're looking out for. And here's how I want you to modify. Like that's the goal of this program. So it's saying it's not that, you know, at week 10, you're getting off the rig. Like I think that Pregnant people should be hanging from the bar, even if it's just a dead hang because their grip strength is really weak postpartum. If they've been eight months where they've been off any gymnastics training and then we're not seeing that they're having pelvic issues, we're seeing that they're having shoulder pain because they're starting mm -hmm. to dump out because they haven't trained those shoulder muscles or their lat muscles or their grit muscles. They're starting to get elbow pain from holding onto a newborn and trying to get back to butterfly pull-ups. Like all of those things are so important in knowing what your goals are and what you are hoping to achieve during your pregnancy and then kind of meeting you where you're at by giving you the information so you can make an informed decision yourself.
Well, that's really interesting because the buoys are the guidelines of what what will hurt or or what it will feel like when you should no longer be doing the thing that you're doing is a really interesting concept because I remember my my doc being like, you'll know, like your body will tell you when you need to like pull back. And I'm like, bitch, I crossed it. Like all I have been doing for the last 12 years is trying to push through every red flag that my body is giving me to stop. I do not know what that limit is. I don't. I don't have a like, your body will deregulate itself when you're feeling like it. I don't have that. I don't have an off switch. But I know when I feel pain. You know what I mean? Like, I know when I feel like a weird heaviness in my vagina that isn't there normally. Like, those kinds of markers I could look for. Like, I could, I can look for my heart rate if you want to give me a number, but then everyone's like, that's kind of not really it anyway. So, like, I need something a little bit more specific than just like, you'll downregulate yourself when you feel it. Like, fuck, I won't. No, I won't. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I want to downregulate every time the clock goes three, two, one, go. Like, I don't. So, so that's, that's a really interesting concept that I think is missing from a lot of the, the programs or the yeah. options that are out there for pregnant women right now. Can I talk really quickly about the heart rate thing? Bring it on. Okay. So individuals who are pregnant are often told, don't let your heart rate go over 140, 150, whatever that may be. That roughly translates to moderate intensity, 70, right. 80% of your heart rate reserve, your max heart rate, whatever you're trying to utilize. It's not that if your heart rate goes higher than that, that you're all of a sudden going to do something bad. There was one study that was done on 10 individuals who are elite level endurance runners, and they put them on a treadmill test. And they ramped up that treadmill test until they got to 100% of their VO2 max during their pregnancy. And there was no control group, but there was two individuals whose babies showed signs of their heart rate dropping. And that was the study that kind of created that fear, saying, let's not push it too hard. It could be bad for a baby. We're going to keep these buoys relatively low. There's actually a study that just came out last month out of Margie's lab that took individuals and did moderate intensity training and then got individuals doing high intensity training and did a lot more variables. So there was a control group. And what they saw was that baby's heart rate actually increased a little bit with mom's heart rate. So if you're working out really hard, your baby is working out too, kind of. And what we're, what some of the cool, like these cool studies are showing that your baby's heart is stronger if you exercise during pregnancy too. And I thought that was so cool, but it's starting to finally kind of break down that barrier. What I do tell my pregnant people is that rebound fatigue during pregnancy is real. Uh, and you have that tiredness after a really intense workout if you're not pregnant, but like five exit if you're pregnant. And yeah. if you have to do something else in the day or you have other kiddos that you're chasing for the remainder of the day, you may bring your intensity down because you have to function the rest of the day. And so that's kind of more, again, that navigational buoy that we're talking about instead of these blanket statements. Okay, so research aside... When it comes to pelvic floor health and pregnancy slash postpartum, like that whole era, what are some of the things, what are some of the misconceptions that you battle on a daily basis with the work that you do? Like some of the things that you wish people knew or understood better? Yeah, I battle a lot around how individuals are taught how to brace and what 
that looks like, and then risk of an issue called pelvic organ prolapse. And so to kind of do this in like a Sparks Notes version, individuals are told to brace by inhaling really big and then bearing down. The only time you should really be bearing down is if you're birthing a kiddo. And what that means is, is that rates of pelvic floor dysfunction go up in our lifters. And I was just at the female athlete conference speaking to a lot of sports med docs and stuff. And I said, if we know that 50% of lifters leak, and if we replace that leaking with pain, people will be really upset about it. And yet mm-hmm. we have these stats and nobody is doing anything about it. And we need to really get to our coaches. And so the way that I teach individuals how to brace is to inhale big and then contract your abs as if someone was going to give you a tiny punch to the stomach. Or if you have kiddos, like your toddler was going to jump on you. Like the first thing you do is you bring your rib cage over your pelvis and you tighten up your abs, but you're I'm not doing, doing it right that. now. I'm doing right. it. Right. You're not doing that bearing down motion. And then when they add in a weightlifting belt, too often what people are told is to push out against the belt. And we don't want to change our bracing strategy when we're exposing ourselves to our heaviest load, right? Why, why would we change what we were doing before? And so I get individuals to tighten the belt when they're exhaled. And then when they take that big inhale and brace the exact same way, they're going to feel that tightness around the weightlifting belt because we are super pro belt. It's allowed in all of these different sports. It makes the amount of effort go down and it makes our muscles around our core increase in how much they're working and how much they're kind of activating. And so those are all things that we tackle. There was a lot of, and thankfully this is kind of more, this is more in the past. We're not seeing it as often is that there was a lot of the idea that lifting caused prolapse. So prolapse is kind of a movement of one or more of the vaginal walls. And what we see now is that there's a lot of variability in how much movement individuals have down there. Like some people are going to have more range of motion. Some people are going to have less. But again, you're looking for symptoms. If they're experiencing like a bulging sensation, like they're kind of moving over a tennis ball when they're going from a reclined position to sitting or like this heaviness feeling around the the opening, those are symptoms that we're going to start working on. But lifting, we don't have any, again, research that shows that lifting itself, like resistance training is going to cause prolapse. What we do have evidence for is individuals who are doing occupational lifting. So eight hours a day, their job entails lifting may be more likely to experience those symptoms. But those things are not the same. One person doing a gradual resistance training program for 30 to 60 minutes a day is not the same thing as a person going and working eight hours a day and doing lifting tasks during. So yeah, there's just been a lot in in that space and it's kind of, there's a lot of debunking that needs to happen for those types of things. For sure. Is And is that what you find when women come and see you if they're sort of like, I'm, I'm, well, actually let me back that up and re-ask this question. When is the best time to come and see you? Is it mid-pregnancy? Is it right after baby? Yeah, we love getting individuals during their pregnancy because we can, one, help with exercise modification. We can do some birth prep. So for our active individuals, you were saying about tight pelvic floor, we need to relax our pelvic floor for baby to come out. (laughs) Our uterus is doing the pushing. It's not our pelvic floor. And what that means is, is that You know, our CrossFit or resistance trained athletes or weightlifters, powerlifters, when they hold their breath, they are very good at closing their sphincters. So they close so they don't pee and poop 
ideally when they don't Sean want to is laughing. Anything. The word sphincter is always funny, no matter. <laughs> it's a hard episode for me, Nikki. I'm right in. You're doing a great job. Well, when we are birthing, we are oftentimes holding our breath and then we need to relax our pelvic floor, which our resistance trained athletes have been spending many years doing the exact opposite. So we really like getting our CrossFitters, our functional fitness athletes doing some work with us on relaxation and birth prepping so that we can help their pregnancy, their labor and delivery hopefully go a bit smoother. Like it always is a toss up of how it's going to go. But if we can help you not fight that process, especially in the pushing stages, it can be helpful. During pregnancy as well, we can also set up expectations for healing postpartum. We try, again, to get individuals at two weeks postpartum, either on a telehealth call or in our office, to just answer questions about what your healing looks like. How is your incision looking if you had a C-section? How are your stitches looking if you had stitches down, if you had a vaginal birth in your perineum or the tissues around your vagina? What are you going to expect? Like, for example, when you're going back after a vaginal delivery, you're going to feel more movement up and down when you're lifting down there. That's normal because you've gone through a big stretch injury, but it can be alarming if you're not used to feeling movement down there. And now you're feeling movement at an empty bar and it can make people feel very sensitive and vulnerable and it can create some issues with pelvic floor tightness, et cetera. And so by being able to, to talk through these things, it's like, this is what to expect. And when we're doing birth prep, we're talking about, here's what happens. I know you don't want a C-section, but if you do end up with a C-section, this is what's going to happen. And this is what you can expect because it's just so important to have that information. And then postpartum, same thing. Like, how do we get you back as fast as you want to go? And some people are really pushing those boundaries. And some people are a bit more conservative and we're just, again, we're going to meet people where they're at. Like I was one week postpartum with both my kiddos and I was like, I really need to get in the gym. My mental health needs me to get into the gym. I need to be around my people. I need to be moving my body. Like it just, it just makes me feel good. And that's totally fine. And if other people are like, I couldn't even think about the gym until six months postpartum, eight months postpartum. I was like, sweet. Like, let's, let's get started whenever you are ready for it. So there's a, a lot of variability in that, but a lot of stuff that you can do too. So you have, you're just like a, just a big ball of resources. You're just like, this is, I, I wish that you like lived in my house with me because I would just ask a bazillion questions all day long, but I would love for you to let our listeners know, like, where are all the places where they can find you and find the information that you're putting out there and find the programming that you're offering, like just you'll probably get a flood of DMs from people just being like, question about my vagina. But like, it's, it. it's just Bring it on. <laughs> great because we don't have that. Like, that's not a thing that is oftentimes easy to find. So where are, where get are our men? Like, I have to ask you about my testicles. <laughs> right. My testicles are numb. I have spent too much time on this YouTube. Please tell me what to do. I yeah. bet it's coming. Oh. So if you are a, a pregnant or postpartum person and you are looking for programming, we do a lot of education. We have a podcast as well that tries to give information from a pelvic health person to a, a birthing person. And that's at thebarbellmamas.com or at thebarbellmamas on Instagram and YouTube. Is if you M are a clinician. M-O-M-M-A-S or M-A-M-A-S? M-A-M-A-S. 
Yeah. M-A-M-A. Mamas. And then for, if you are a clinician, I teach pelvic health courses and geriatric courses through the Institute of Clinical Excellence. So you can find them at Ice Physio. And then if you want to follow me personally, it's at Christina underscore Previtt. P-R-E-V-E-T-T. And I, I kind of, just like you said, I kind of pendulum swing. Like you're going to get a lot of older adult stuff and you're going to get a lot of pelvic stuff and everything in between is, is where you can find me. And then something that I think is pretty cool is you are now also a resource for the HWPO folks as they are kind of like putting together a whole bunch of things and celebrating Sammy's pregnancy and kind of incorporating that into all of the training that they're doing too, right? What's going on with that? Yeah. So I'm super excited. And I realized that you probably had like every HWPO coach. I'm kind of a, a PT on the fringe with AWPO. I reached out to them because they had a member who said pelvic floor said no or something like that. I was like, let me help you. <laughs> Randomly like came into their DMs and I had been doing their programming for a long time. I've been on flagship. I'm on pro now. And Sammy was pregnant. I didn't realize that. And she has, wasn't telling everybody, but we started doing kind of a webinar that was, they call it hard worker highlights, where they highlight a person in the community who is doing things that could help serve the community. And then I came down during their grand opening and filmed some resources. So if you're within HWPO and there's resources for pregnant cardio modifications, pregnant weightlifting modifications, pregnant gymnastics modifications that Sammy and I filmed together. And we did a vlog episode about her first and second trimester. And so I'm going down there. I'm not sure when this is getting released, but the 23rd of June is their bump sweat event. So there's going to be all these pregnant people in HWPO HQ and we're going to do a workout together. We're going to have some food and we're going to do a Q&A about information that people need to keep exercising and get ready for birth. And we're going to do another podcast episode to talk as Sammy gets ready for her delivery. And so it's been really fun to liaise with them. I've just, I'm just such a huge fan of everything that HWPO does. I think they're just so like giving to their community and their programming is just obviously top notch. And just like the kindness that is exuded from that group is palpable, even as a small, tiny piece of their platform. And it's just been really wonderful to be able to get some of this messaging out, which is they have such a huge platform. So to share that with me to try and advocate for these empowering messages for pregnant and postpartum people, it's just, it's just been wonderful. Love, I love all that so much. <laughs> Pull it together, Nikki. You'll be Sorry. all right. All right. No, it's great. I, I love it too. And I love, I'm always impressed with hard work pays off with all the little things like this that they throw into their members. They don't get enough credit for that, for yeah, being honest. That's true. Yeah. They just do an incredible job of trying to build people up within their community. Please promise me you'll tell O'Keefe he's going through menopause. <laughs> I promise you that I will if he is there this weekend. He may be like staying away. I don't know. Like maybe he doesn't want to be around 25 pregnant people. Maybe he does. I don't know. I love it so much. That's so good. I do think this would be really helpful for a lot of the men that listen to our yeah. show. And, I, and I'm and i hopeful it'll be as an affiliate owner. Like I'm sitting here thinking, I'm hoping coaches are listening to this and using this as a resource for some of their members. Because I can't tell you how many, again, over the years, just listen to people complaining about whatever's going on in their life and no one knowing where to point them. Yeah. 
just like, oh, well, don't do double unders. That's what you hear. Right. So it's, it's yeah. nice to know they've got a resource to reach out to. So I so hope some of the coaches that maybe are uncomfortable talking about this will refer them to you. So that'd be great. I, and you're right. The more that we start having conversations, people, even in my gym, they didn't know who I was at first when we moved down here. And I started just talking about pelvic health and the amount of members that came in like size really have a question for you like they would just pull me aside my husband laughs now that it's like a regular occurrence that I'm being pulled aside and being asked a question that people don't know who to ask and having those resources I just think is so wonderful and if affiliates have coaches that have that information that's wonderful but also do they have a person to refer to that understands the demands of their sport I think that is really helpful because it's not going to be get out of the gym. It's going to be, let me help keep you in the gym. Right? My, one of my partners or co-owners is, is actually my doctor. And I can't tell you how invaluable it has been in the last 12 months to, to train with someone who's a medical professional and that understands. And so, and so now like the last year, I've probably made more gains in the last year of my training physically and, and kind of even emotionally to some degree because I'm getting real answers to what some of my problems have been that I've never really been able to address before. And, and so I, I'd give huge recommendation to either reaching out to you or finding a medical professional that understands CrossFit and can talk through some of these things and, and help you push through to your goals because it's made a monster difference for me. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Nick Lee. Oh, yeah. How are you feeling about public floor now? Everything good? Get all your answers? Everything? Yeah, I feel great. I listen. I'm a huge <laughs> advocate. I did public floor PC while I was pregnant. And then I did it for probably like three months after I had my baby. I graduated, quote unquote, from public floor PT when I was told I was ready to like run. That was the last thing. I was like doing everything. I got back to everything in the gym and then like running, like distance running was the very last thing where she was like, I think you're in a good spot to to go Love jogging it. again. So. I'm a huge advocate and it's hard to, it's hard to know where to point people when they have questions. So I'm glad to, to be able to funnel folks to you. Well, yeah. I'm, we, I'm, oh, go ahead. Sorry. We have a, on the Institute of Clinical Excellence also has a find a clinician section or directory on our website. And our organization is unbelievably fitness forward. We teach clinicians about the CrossFit methodology and functional fitness methodology. And then our pelvic health is obviously courses are very centered in it. So I would also recommend going on to that platform and seeing, because you'll be able to see what courses they've taken if they've taken, well, all of our clinicians are fitness forward, but there are different CrossFit courses and things that they, they will say, we took these courses or I am a CrossFit level one or, and then it gives you that little bit of confidence of the person that you're going to see is going to be able to speak that language. So that directory is awesome. That's very cool. Well, we really appreciate you joining us, Christine. I think the our sport's really unique in the fact that we have like the Tia Claire Toomeys of the world that are superhuman. And my fear is always that there's people out there watching her and they think, well, this is just how it should be for everyone. Not, not recognizing this is a world-class athlete that is, is truly superhuman in so many different ways. And that the experience of the Tia Claire Toomeys is not going to be the experience of the Nikki Braziers of the world necessarily. It might be and Nikki Superman too, but <laughs> just in <laughs> much different ways. The perfect analogy, yes. really. 
Yes. I think there's a lot of people too who have been very like triggered and sending her a lot of fear focused messages as well. Like it's not helpful to get into her comment section and say that her organs are going to fall out of her body. One, you what? have not right. seen her vagina, so you have no idea. But also she's, this is her job. Like a lot of in the United States, there's six weeks of maternity leave and you go back to your job. And if you were a nurse, you would be transferring patients and you would be doing all of these things. And you're right. Like everybody is, is so different. I'm seeing a lot of people who are, are more thinking badly on their, their own journey potentially. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, like everybody is going to have their own capacity and I'm really bad at basketball. I wouldn't compare myself to a WNBA athlete and think that our timelines are going to be the same. And yeah, I think I, I, I'm just so excited to see what she, she's also challenging a lot of narratives around what modifications do modifications need to happen. And until you get some of these anecdotal stories, like the research isn't going to say we're going to just do nothing and see what happens or don't make any modifications right. and see what happens. And so I'm just... I'm just watching so closely because I think it's so fascinating to to see, you know, at people on different sides of the spectrum. Well, sure. if you need an athlete to watch, go check out Lauren Weeks, who yes. is a High Rocks athlete. We had her on the show a few weeks ago. She just won her third. She just won the world championship at High Rocks, but just won her third event. And she's how far postpartum is she, Nikki? It's less than a year, right? Uh, baby is eight or nine months old. She also competed at Worlds while she was eight months pregnant. Woo! Love. The whole I love it. Rocks, the whole she did the whole thing, not her fastest time, but she completed the entire thing and like not slowly either. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the fact that we have people on both sides of this spectrum is just going to allow us to individualize our advice and say, however you feel in your body, whatever your goals are, because you're there's going to be people too that don't get pregnant until they're done competing. And they don't want to get back to that level of fitness. And again, that's totally fine. The thing that really sucks is that your fertility window and your athletic window directly overlap. Mm. And that is a uniquely female experience. And so that family planning, like it goes into your discussions around your athletic career, but no matter what level of fitness you are, I'm yeah. 33 and a mom of two. And we're like talking, like, do we want a third baby? And I was like, I'm the fittest that I've ever been. Like, darn it. Like, <laughs> yep. I hear you, girl. Yeah. And so it's like, it's these, these, I was like, my husband gets a baby at the end of it, but he doesn't have to go through pregnancy three times. And so yeah. it, it's just so funny to, to have those conversations. And I think it's okay for individuals to be very real about that. I have, a, I've spoken very openly that it is okay to be excited that you're pregnant, but also grieve the fact that you have to take a year plus off or you have to modify or you have to, to change the way that you're approaching exercise for at least a short period of time. And there are no guarantees that you are going to get back to that level of fitness. And that's, it's okay to feel sadness and grief around that. So. That's well, if you're no longer getting sympathy now that I know I can get menopause. So. All right. Well, Christina, thank you for joining. It's been fantastic having you on. Nikki, thank you for keep bringing these topics to us. Very oh, interesting. For sure. Very yeah, cool. I could, it, this was tough. Like I could chat Christina's ear off for like 16 hours about all of this stuff. So we'll have to have you back on as you continue your research and find out new things. And just like we could dedicate one whole show at a time to all the different things that you're uncovering and all the barriers that you're breaking down. So 
We'll definitely have you back on as you work on this stuff continuously. Thank you um, for allowing me to share this platform with all your, your listeners so that we can start debunking all of these myths. It's really wonderful. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, for everyone listening, we appreciate you guys joining this evening and we will chat with you guys soon.